Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome back to Bald Head Bible Podcast. I'm excited to get into the third story here of Gideon, but I just wanted to give a shout out to another camp that I highly recommend. It's in the Midwest. Last week I talked about Trout Creek Bible Camp, which is near Portland, Oregon. That's more on the West Coast, but um, I'd like you to think about, you know, if you ha- are looking for a good camp somewhere in Iowa, I'd like you to think about East Iowa Bible Camp. It's actually near the town of Deep River, Iowa. Um, I, more I like to think about it is about um, half an hour west of Iowa City. It's, it's really in the middle of nowhere, which is the sign of a great camp because your kids are going to go there and they're going to have to stay there and they can't just come and go. But they're not going to want to go because Jason Folkman and Andy Gross do such a good job in keeping your kids interested in the various activities they hire great staff who also counsel and work with the kids and so your child is going to have one-on-one attention they're going to have fun activities and of course they're going to have great chapels Um, I speak there but I know they have other great speakers there they have a really great missionary speaker I've bumped into two or three of them and they really do a good job at a good job in making the Bible come alive and exciting and um, I'd like you to think about East Iowa Bible Camp. Um, just Google that term and you're going to, or Google that phrase or Google their name and you're going to find them. And um, again, think about signing your child up for camp this summer. Camp is where God can use it in a lot of kids' lives to get them away from the hustle and bustle of normal life, get them out of the video game mindset and spend some time just thinking about God, thinking about his word, spending time with Jesus, and it's in those moments that I'm telling you, a camp like East Iowa Bible Camp really helps your kid connect with Jesus and really helps them see the wonder of who he is. And so if you're thinking about a camp this summer for your child, please check out East Iowa Bible Camp. You won't be disappointed i promise you the other thing i want to say is please you know email me at baldheadbible at gmail.com that's one word baldheadbible at gmail.com if you have any questions about any of the stories we go through any theological questions or um, just historical questions or any questions you have you know i'd be i'd love to answer them also if you'd be interested in looking at if you need a good junior speaker for your camp this summer, um, feel free to email me at baldheadbible at gmail.com. And if we have some weeks open, um, I'd love to fit you in. So um, I'd be interested in that as well. But um, also check out our Facebook page at Baldhead Bible. Just put that on Facebook, search for Baldhead Bible, and I come up. And I Again, would love to build a little bit of a community, um, some connections with other people. And please, like the podcast. I guess that's a big thing in the podcast world, to hit that like. The more people that like it, the more your podcast gets seen. The more it gets seen, it attracts more listeners and 
hey, then things just go wonderful in the podcast world. But if you don't like it and if you don't make any comments, it doesn't happen. So I'd encourage you to do that next time you download or listen to the podcast. If you haven't made a given us a rating or, or, or comment, we'd, we'd love to hear from you there as well. But let's stop chatting and let's get right back in the story of Gideon, part three. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Gideon hopped up on the rock, I can imagine, in the middle of the river as the water was flowing by. He closed his eyes because he's excited and maybe praying to God, Lord, what are you going to show me? Who is going to go fight for us against the Midianites? And he opens his eyes and he pulls out his pen and his paper and he's going to start writing down the names of all the men who are going to fight. It's going to be fantastic. And he looks up and... He sees the worst thing he can imagine. No, and he looks behind him and I can't believe it. That's way too many men. And he looks over and, oh no, it's Larry. Please, please, Lord, not Larry. Am I stuck with Larry? This makes no sense. Have you ever been there where you think, where in the world is God? Where in the world is he? God's called me to do something. I really feel firmly maybe God called you to witness to a friend or or God called you to start a Bible study or a project or to do something for him and you just know he did through Bible study and Holy Spirit working in your life and circumstances. You're like, yes, this is what God wants me to do and then things do not work out at all like you planned and you wonder where in the world is God? What in the world is God doing? Well, if you've ever felt that way, man, have I got a story for you. Well, remember last week, we left Gideon. He'd asked God for a sign and he said, all right, God, if you want me to do this, I'm a big chicken. But if you really want me to do this, I'm going to just ask you for a sign, please. I'm going to put this fleece in the middle of this threshing floor. And if the fleece is wet and all around it is dry, then I know you want me to do this. And so the next morning, Gideon goes up, gets up, and goes out there, and the fleece is soaking wet. And all the ground around it is bone dry. Well, that's not good enough for Gideon. Instead, he says, one more test, Lord, please, just one more test, and... In fact, this is the test. Uh, tomorrow, make the fleece dry, and all the ground around it on the threshing floor will be wet. And then I'll know you want me to go battle against the Midianites. So Gideon gets up the next morning, and he sets out towards the threshing floor, and he steps on that threshing floor, and whoop, whoosh, falls straight on his back. I can imagine the threshing floor is soaking wet, and the dew was everywhere. He thinks, whoa, I bet that fleece is wet. God didn't really want me to do this. And when he steps on the fleece, it is dry as all get out, bone dry. And he's thinking, all right, God, twice I've asked you. Twice you've answered my test. You must want me to do this. So we meet Gideon again in Judges chapter 7. And he'd called, remember in Judges chapter 6, he'd called the men of Israel and 
men from the tribes of Asher and, and, and Naphtali and Manasseh had showed up to fight. 32,000 men had showed up. Now the thing is, the Midianites, who they were about to go into battle against, they numbered 135,000 men. So imagine, they had 135,000 men. Gideon had 32,000 men. For all those of you who do math, that's one Israelite for every four Midianites. So one Israelite has got to fight, you know, four of them and take out four of them. The odds are pretty much stacked against them. Well, Gideon's like, I guess I'm going to do this, God. I know you want me. I've seen you do a miraculous things. I've seen the angel of the Lord. I, I know this is what you want me to do. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go into battle. And So imagine they start practicing, they start fighting, and they start working out. And they're up on a hill, and below them in the valley are the Midianites, 135,000 strong. But they're getting ready. And after a hard day's work, Gideon goes to bed at night, to sleep, to dream. But then God comes to Gideon. And I don't know if it was in a dream or if he was just talking to him or a vision. But I imagine God comes to him and says at night and says, All right, Gideon, I want you to institute Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. Gideon's like, what? Yep, I want you to institute Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. And Gideon's like, no, 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 please, please, anything but Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. Please, not that. And God says, yes. See, Deuteronomy chapter 20 are laws given by God concerning warfare. And a couple of the laws are if, if somebody's newly been married, you know, they just got married, they don't have to go into battle. They just built a house or just established a vineyard. They don't have to go into battle. But Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8 says this. If any of the men, if any of you, it says, who is fearful and faint-hearted, let him go back, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. If any of you are scared, if any of you are too chicken to fight, God basically says it's better to go into battle with the men who want to fight than those who are scared. You can leave. So Gideon, I want you to get up tomorrow, and I want you to tell the army, the 32,000 men you have, that if any of them are too scared to fight, they can leave. So Gideon's like, all right. But why, God? Why? This makes no sense. We are already outnumbered. Why? God says to Gideon, there's too many of them. Because if we go into battle with them, if we go into battle with the 32,000, they're going to boast, Gideon. They're going to boast and say the battle belonged to them. And they won because of their might. Gideon, I want my name to be great amongst the Israelites again. And I want them to see that I gave the Midianites into their hand. And that I fought for them. I want to make my name great. And with 32,000 men, they're just going to boast. We've got to reduce that number. And so Gideon says, all right. He gets up the next day, and I imagine he hops up on a, this big outcrop so he can talk to 32,000 men. That's a lot of people. And he says, all right, any men 
who is fearful and trembling. I can see, imagine their knees knocking together. If any of you are scared, hurry away. Get out of here as fast as you can. Gideon gives that command and he turns around expecting out of 32,000 men, he might lose 100 maybe, 500, 1,000 maybe at tops. It says that 22,000 men just ran away and went back home. You know, I can imagine all of a sudden Gideon's hearing swords dropping. You can keep the sword. I, I got to go. And, and shields dropping. Clunk. Um, here, Frank, this is yours. You might need two. And then somebody else, you know, hey, I didn't even know I was here. I, I, I thought that horn blowing was a sale. And I wanted to come see what was happening and what I could buy. But I didn't know it was going to be an army. And 22,000 men just left. Now, remember, he started with 32,000. That's four Midianites for every one Israelite. Well, 22,000 men left. That means he has 10,000 men left. 10,000 men to go against 135,000 Midianites. That ratio that was 4 to 1 is now 13 to 1. 13 Midianites. To every one Israelite. Gideon's probably like, what did I do wrong here? Am I not wearing deodorant? What is the problem? Oh, man. Well, you know what? I'm going to trust God. He's showing himself to be faithful. I will. I, I'll do this. And so he goes to sleep that night. And maybe that day they fought and they practiced with the 10,000 men and they had some rousing speeches and they watched some inspirational speeches and they and they wrote, you know, each other inspirational notes. Yes, we can do this. And they all got together and put their hands in the middle and said some big chant and then break. We can do this. They pumped each other up and Gideon's like, we can do this. And he goes to sleep and God shows up again to Gideon. That night and says to Gideon, Gideon, there's still too many men. There's still too many men. Gideon's like, you have got to be kidding me. We only have 10,000 men and there's still too many. God's probably telling him again, yes, they're going to claim they did it. They're going to get all boastful and prideful. You know these people. You know, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22, it says there that, For the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? Not because Israel's great. Not because they're wonderful. Not because there's something special about them. Why will he not forsake his people? It says, For his great name's sake. He chose the people of Israel, a small tribe. He said, I've made you my own because I want to make my name great throughout all of this earth. And through you, I'm going to raise you up as a kingdom of priests. And out of you, I'm going to have my son Jesus come, who's going to make his name great throughout all the world says one of the great doctrines of the church is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
You know, and also everything that we do is for the glory of God. We don't do it for ourselves. And one of the greatest ways that God finds glory is by making his name great. So at the end of the day, we can say God did it, not us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God loves to use the weak. God loves to use those that the world despises to make his name great. God loves to use those that the world doesn't think much of to do amazing things. Because when that happens, people don't look at that person and say, wow, look what they did. Look at all their ability. No. God uses the weak, the ugly, the poor, the disenfranchised, the not cool. He does amazing things with them. Because at the end of the day, when that happens, people say, wow, I've heard he's a Christian. I wonder who this Jesus is. Look what Jesus is doing in his life. Look how Jesus has changed him. I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to know who this God is that he follows. So God says to Gideon, the number is still too great. Tomorrow, at the end of working out and preparing for battle, I want you to take the men down to the water. And I want you to let them drink, to drink as much as they want. And it says there in Judges chapter 7 that I want the men who scoop the water with their hand and lap it like a dog. You know, so basically they're standing up, they scoop the water with their hand, and then they take their tongue and whoop, and they flick it back into their mouth. You know, have you ever watched? It says literally lap like a dog. That's how a dog drinks. It takes its tongue, uses it like a spoon, and laps up the water into its mouth, you know? And he says, Whoever does that laps like a dog. I want you to separate them for the battle. But whoever gets down there and just sticks his face in the water and just drinks as much as they want, I want you to separate them out. They're not going to battle. Now, some people think God did this to differentiate between those who were skilled in battle, you know, who are more aware of their surroundings, because maybe God said, I want people who are smart. Because when you take a drink out of a river, You want to keep your head up and look around and maybe keep one hand on your sword and stick that hand into the river, take some water in the cup of your hand and lap it out of there. And and, and maybe by doing this, God said, I want those who are more aware of their surroundings who will be better fighters. That's who I want in my army. Not the ones who just stick their head in the water and drink it like literally a dog on all fours because they've totally lost any sense of where they're at, and they could be easily attacked. Other commentators say it's totally arbitrary. And I sort of lean towards that side. In fact, one writer, Josephus, he thinks that that lapping like a dog was probably the worst way to drink, you know? Maybe they had to put their sword down and scoop up the water with two hands and and totally stick their face in their palm, and they totally lost all sense of their surroundings and maybe it was the ones in all four sticking their face into the water who were closer who were more aware of what was happening and could get out of the way of any bow or arrow that's flying at them i don't know but 
I tend to lean towards Josephus's idea that God picked the worst way to drink because he wanted Gideon to go into battle with the motliest, goofiest fighters he could have. Why? Because again, God wants to make his name great. And if Gideon goes into the battle with the worst fighters imaginable, they can't say, well, I did it. I'm a great fighter. No. If he goes into battle with the worst fighters ever, they're going to say, that has to be Yahweh. And look at their great God. And look what he's done with those guys. That is amazing. Their God is awesome. And I want to know him. So, all right, God. I'll do that. And it says in Judges chapter 7 that Gideon gets up the next day and he takes the men down to the water. And they begin to drink. They're thirsty. They've had a hard day fighting and preparing and sword fighting and push-ups and squats and getting all ready. And they're dying for a drink. And they get down there and they start to drink and Remember, Gideon's got 10,000 men who are thirsty and Gideon hops up onto a rock in the middle of that river and he says, all right, God, I'm going to write down who are the men that are going to go into battle for us. And he pulls out a pad of paper, takes out a pen and he looks up and they're all sticking their faces right in the water. He can't see anybody who's picking up the water, scooping it up and lapping it like a dog. And some of his best fighters, oh no, not Dave. He's six foot five and muscular and knows all the best karate moves. I can't believe it. He's sticking his face in the water. I'm not Steve. He's so good with a bow and arrow. I'm not him. He's sticking his face. Really? And then he looks over. Guess who's drinking the right way, sticking his hand in the water, lapping it like a dog? Larry. Not Larry, please. Not Larry. Every time he goes to swing his sword, he knocks his own hat off. And he and he misses and he falls over half the time and then he looks behind him and, oh no, not Bob. Please not, Bob. He's he's like the worst ever to have on your side. He's he's always complaining and he's and he's way too skinny and he's I mean Dave's far more muscular, not Bob. Well, of the 10,000 men. Remember with 10,000 men, the Midianites had 135,000 men. With 10,000 men, that was a 13 to 1 ratio. Remember that? Well, of the 10,000 men, guess how many drank the right way? 300. I can imagine Gideon's jaw dropped open. 
And he had to say, all right, Dave, you got to go home. What? I can imagine Dave's like, what are you saying? I'm sorry. God said he had to drink this way, and he probably tried to explain it, but Dave got mad and said, oh, rah, 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 and he walked off, and Steve left. Half these men who were, who were, hey, I was going to fight for you, and now i got to go back. That's not fair. Of 10,000 men, out of 10,000, only 300 were left. 300 men to take on the Midianite army of 135,000 men. Do you know what the ratio there is? That's 450 Midianites to every one Israelite. 450 to one. Talk about odds being stacked against you. There is no way. There is no way this is going to work. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Well, if you come back next week, we're going to learn exactly what God is doing. And I just want to encourage you, the one thing we can take from this week's episode is that God cares about his name, and he doesn't want us boasting in our pride or boasting in our ability it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Just want to encourage you, trust God. Even though things don't make sense, if you're willing to follow him and trust him, if you've said, hey, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, and, and I've decided to make him Lord of my life, and I want to follow him the rest of my days. If God's called you to do something, do it, and trust him, and make his name great. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.